0: Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore digital manufacturing trends and developments. I'm your host, Rachel Passini, Senior Editor of Design World. Today, we're discussing electrostatic discharge, or ESD, within precision additive manufacturing and static dissipative materials. I'm here with John Caola, CEO of Boston Microfabrication, and Olga Ivanova of McNano to learn all about it. This past September, McNannell's Formula One Mu ESD resin became approved for BMF's 200 and 300 series micro-precision 3D printers. These are ultra-high-resolution printers that can match precision injection molding in terms of resolution, size, and tolerance. And the Formula One Mu is poised to revolutionize the world of static dissipative part fabrication. John and Olga, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Yes, thank you, Rachel.
0: Thank you for having us. Before we get into the specifics, let's first discuss, what is electrostatic discharge and what are the corresponding issues and hazards? Electrostatic discharge occurs
2: due to the buildup and release of static electricity, which is caused by the transfer of electrons between materials. It is mainly triggered by friction, contact, or separation between different objects or surfaces. Two prime examples is when you reach to a doorknob and get a shock. That is a contact of two objects. Another good example, you take off your hat in a very dry, cold weather and your hair stands up because it's statically charged. That is when the separation and friction happens. While ESD in these cases might seem harmless, it can pose significant issues and hazards in various industries. One of the main concerns is the potential damage to the electronic equipment. When ESD occurs near electronic devices, it can generate a high voltage surge that surpasses the tolerance levels, leading to permanent damage or system failure. It can also cause data loss in the computer systems or disrupt the functionality of medical devices. Besides these electrical issues, or rather technical issues, ESD can also pose safety hazards to individuals, such as electric shock or fires in environments containing flammable materials, so explosive materials, for example. Thus, understanding the causes and potential hazards of this electrostatic discharge is very crucial to effectively preventing the damage to equipment and ensure the safety of the personnel in various work environments.
0: So in general, what are ESD-safe materials? What is their role and how do they work? ESD-safe materials are commonly
2: classified into three distinct categories. Uh, And it's based on their properties and the way they transfer the charge. It's antistatic, conductive, or dissipative. Antistatic material possess either no charge or a minimal initial charge, effectively preventing the transfer of electrical discharge to or from human contact. The best example of antistatic materials, the bounce sheets for your laundry, really. (laughs) That is an antistatic material, right? (laughs) Conductive materials are characterized by a low electrical resistance. They facilitate the easy movement of electrons across the surface or through the material itself. And this enables the rapid dissipation of electric charges to the ground or to another conductive material that comes into contact with the object. Dissipative materials facilitate a controlled and very gradual flow of electric charges towards the ground in comparison to conductive materials when charge dissipates very quickly. And the ability to slow down the discharge process makes them extremely well suited for ESD prone environments as they effectively reduce the energy output and prevent electrostatic discharge. And really by employing these different types of material depending on the situation and application uh, the risk of damage co- caused by static electricity can be significantly mitigated.
0: So then, Olga, can you talk specifically about the Formula One U ESD resin and McNano's technology? Does it change? Does the technology and material change what's possible for AM? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, otherwise I wouldn't be here.
2: Um, <laughs> Let's start a little bit with Macnano. Macnano focuses on advancement of additive manufacturing materials using carbon nanotubes specifically. And due to their unique structure, carbon nanotubes possess exceptional characteristics, notably excellent tensile strands, electrical and thermal conductivity. Despite having those impressive attributes, carbon nanotubes tend to aggregate into clumps during the manufacturing process. And in this clumped state, they struggle to effectively transfer their properties to the matrix material they introduced to, resulting in a performance similar to that of carbon black. Our technology focuses on addressing the natural tendency of carbon nanotubes to agglomerate by achieving a discrete state and subsequently modifying the side walls uh, to prevent reagglomeration. agglomeration Uh, that enables us to enhance performance of the base materials and unlock additional properties such as conductivity. As a result, we expand the scope of applications for additive manufacturing materials. Currently, our primary focus is on ESD-safe materials, and one of our developments is the Formula 1 view. Uh, this rigid resin is compatible with Boston microfabrication machines, which offer an excellent choice for manufacturing intricate ESD-safe components. And this marriage of the BMF hardware and Formula One Mu serves as a quick and cost-effective alternative to conventional labor-intensive and expensive machining of ESD-safe parts.
0: That's a good segue into more of the BMF side. So. John, on the printing side, BMF approved the, the resin for your 200 and 300 series printers. So for the micro precision 3D printers, what are companies currently making with these types of printers and, you know, how will this ESD material open up more opportunities for them?
1: Yeah. So, so BMF, um, BMF exists because our, our focus is on sort of very, very high precision, um, high resolution um, performance typically sort of out of the range of a lot of the other, uh, 3d printers on the market. And, um, that typically is on smaller parts. Sometimes it's bigger parts with very fine details, but a lot of, a lot of cases it's smaller parts. And, um, so then that breaks down to, okay, what industries have smaller parts? And it t- tends to be, we, we find that our, our customers are grouped into four categories. One is electronics Electronics components. Two is medical device components. Three is optics and photonics, uh, and the fourth one is is life science uh, and diagnostics. And and in a lot of these um, applications, the parts are being used uh, either in the end component, um, whether that's an electrical device or a medical device. Or they're being used as a fixture, or they're being used on the assembly line for, you know, as these components are being produced. And in, in a number of these cases, uh, ESD is an issue. So whether the the um, you know the buildup of of static is is uh, is creating a problem with um, um, the 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 output from a medical device. Or if it's a safety issue, as, as Olga mentioned, though these these are all real-world uh, problems that are, to, to Olga's point, are typically being addressed by making these ESD parts, but typically machining them. Um, and that's labor-intensive. It costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. Um, and if you're on a production line, and let's say you had, let's say, ESD fixtures or ESD carriers, um, and they break or they wear out, um, you need a replacement like right away like immediately and so there, there is a, an incentive to have uh, the ability to quickly create these components and quickly create uh, sort of uh, a redundancy to to keep your production line up one of the things that uh, is a reality in our life at BMF is that um, you know we're serving a market where, Lots of customers are making very small parts, and there's lots of lots of trends out there for things getting smaller. Medical devices are getting smaller because uh, people want you know less invasive surgeries. Electronics components are getting smaller and smaller every day. Optics and photonics is getting smaller. So, our, again, we exist in a lot of ways because there's this miniaturization trend happening across lots of industries. But one of the challenges in making parts, uh, as things get smaller. They get harder to make the conventional way. They get harder to mold or harder to machine or harder to stamp. And so this is where, you know, we're, we're serving that need, not only for development and engineering, but in some cases for production. So having an ESD material including in a, included in our lineup uh, has been has been a nice addition because we have we have customers who ask for it all the time.
0: So, John, BMF says that these micro precision 3D printers can match precision injection molding in terms of resolution, size, and tolerance. What are the advantages of using 3D printing instead of ejection molding?
1: Yeah, I mean, so this this applies for for small parts, but also applies for large parts. So it's not just for you know this is across the spectrum. Um, I think the the uh, the added uh, urgency with small parts is that. Uh, Typically, the molds that you might use for injection molding are going to be more difficult to make, more expensive to make. So an injection mold for a, for, you know, a, a, I'll call it a more of a macro part, maybe the size of a, a coffee cup or the, the, the computer mouse on your desk um, is, uh, you know, typically on the order of tens of thousands of dollars to make that mold. But when you're making something very, very small with, with sort of micron level tolerance, that mold might be 10 times more expensive and so that's 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 the the difference with small parts uh, on a broad level why would you 3d print versus injection molding um injection molding is a, a very well established technology it's it's well understood it's very precise it's very fast it's it's cost effective for for most things that are made in the world um so certainly 3d printing at probably in my, in my lifetime is not going to displace injection molding but you have lots of applications where Either the part is is very complex or you or you want to design the part to be complex for, for functional reasons. Either you want to lightweight it or there's certain aspects of the part that you want to, to uh, for functional reasons, that would just be really hard to mold. And 3D printing has advantages there because it can print lots of geometries that you can't mold. Uh, two would be around volume, it, it, really an economics argument. So if you're going to make $100 million of something, you're probably going to injection mold. You're going to go through the, the effort to design the mold, even if it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, that's just the, the math, the economics. But if you're making 5,000 parts um, or 10,000 parts or, or one part, um, that's where the math tends to tip to be more of an advantage for 3D printing because you have more flexibility, you don't have the tooling costs. Uh, you can you can start almost immediately. You don't have to wait the six to 12 to 18 weeks to get the mold. So uh, usually the, the decision comes around how fast can you print parts and what the sort of the volume economic math comes out to be.
0: Makes sense. Well, and things have been changing so quickly in additive manufacturing and in general in every industry really these days. Um, for both of you though, where do you see the next steps in the evolution of ESD materials and micro precision 3D printing? Olga, maybe you can start? To be honest, I think
2: in the resin realm at least, in the photocurable ESD materials, we just scratch in the surface because filaments were there. With carbon fiber or carbon black uh, laser sintering powders uh, around on the market for quite some time however when resins appeared i think we are taking advantage of better surface quality uh, intricate details something that processes like fff or laser sintering cannot achieve and that I'm not going to give a segue to John just yet to microfabrication, <laughs> but that is a big deal in a lot of industries that, and a lot of customers we we spoken to, even on a large 12, 10-inch parts, how um uh, requirement of a surface finish really kind of turned them away from additive because the only option that was available until maybe the last couple of years was FFF and it it just didn't hit the mark in those kind of requirements and the reason I'm saying we are scratching the surface at least in the resin realm is because as John mentioned machining, molding is they're all acceptable methods well known and relied on for so many years. We have to Break a mold of a mold maker and make a case for additive. And again, back to the John the John's point about when you make one part of five thousand parts, additive makes sense from economical perspective, right? We also as a community hyped it up a lot. <laughs> there is an educational piece coming when it's actually, make sense to manufacture parts additively whether it's small parts or large parts or not but in 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 esd i think it's this Market penetration and talking to customer that traditionally is using injection molding and machining for fabricating of those components is we just starting. We're just starting getting there. We're just starting getting on their radar with, with ESD safe resins that can fulfill the requirements for surface finish part part tolerances, intricate features. And as John mentioned, it just new product introduction cycle speeds up because they can start almost immediately.
0: And how about you, John, on your side?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Olga brought up a good point. I mean, there's there's uh, I don't know, there's half a dozen different flavors of three d printing from you know filament extrusion to centering with powder to some of the photo you know the photopolymer based technologies that uh, that uh, BMF is part of. And historically, the materials that you could get from extrusion or sintering were, on average, better in terms of mechanical properties and and being able to be used for for end use parts, or you know, typically stronger. But um, there has been a significant uh, sort of improvement in in the availability of photopolymer resins. Uh, you know, McN- McNano is just a great example. There's a number of different companies out there pushing the technology. And you're right, this has really only happened in the last five plus years. Um, and I think that's 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 opened up something because, you know, five years ago, if you had asked me, you know, on a stereolithography machine or other sort of photo photopolymer uh, a platform, you know, could you make functional parts? I would say, well, the parts are beautiful, they're the highest resolution and they're smooth, but I'm not sure they could be functional. But here in 2023, that's not true anymore. And I think more and more, there's development from companies like McNano and others to make to, to really get the, the best combination of functional materials and the accuracy and surface finish. Um, and in some cases, a lot of the the um, the the photopolymer platforms are just also faster. So so then they become more uh, viable as production technologies because you know fat, speed equals cost. Uh, and so um, I think, you know, as materials get better, and this is a little bit of a continuum, um, and it certainly has happened over the last 10 years. Materials get better, machines get uh, faster, machines get uh, uh, easier to use. Uh, processing power, even just processing power uh, for computers, um, has changed everything in terms of being able to process files. Uh, or being able to starting, you know, companies are starting to deploy things like, you know, real time um, quality control, uh, or scanning, which you might have had that technology, but you didn't have the processing power five or 10 years ago, but now you do that's not that that's not the, the gate. So I think, uh, as you know, th- but s- these things don't happen overnight. But you know, as the technologies get better and better and better, it'll mean more and more companies um, will adopt this as a manufacturing method. I think it's pretty well, 3D printing is pretty well understood and used as a prototyping method. And, and, and that's been true for 25 years. And people forget that is the killer app still. Like the fact that you have a machine in your office and you can get a part in like half a day for like a $5. Like that's, that's, that, that's been immensely valuable. For most engineers and designers, and it's 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 pretty much the norm now. That wasn't the norm 15 or 20 years ago. But you know, most companies making something physical are probably exposed to 3D printing in some way. So that you know that'll continue. Um, but the, the the sort of the bigger growth or the more adoption will come with uh, manufacturing, and that just takes time because the part needs to be equivalent to how what they're doing today. Uh, the math needs to make sense. And then you have to overcome sort of the risk calculation that companies are doing in terms of switching from something well understood to something new.
0: Those are all the questions I have today. John and Olga, thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge with us. It's been a pleasure learning from you. Thank you so
1: much. Thanks for the time, Rachel. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks everyone for listening and be sure to visit designworldonline.com for more episodes and podcast series. Till next time, make it a great day.